the sermon text for today is from the book of Exodus, beginning with chapter 22, verse 21. I'll give you a moment if you need to find it in your pew Bible. Listen as I read God's word. Exodus 22, 21 to 24. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with a sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. From Exodus 23, 1 through 9. Laws of Justice and Mercy. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge, and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the, acquit the, acquit, <laughs> acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. A couple things before we uh, dive into the message this morning. Uh, poor Helen, so this was her first time doing announcements and prayer this morning, and there was a couple things that I couldn't throw on her at the last minute. Um, so I got a text message from uh, Tracy Freeman yesterday, and Glennis took a tumble. Uh, so she was getting out of bed and she fell over and hit her face pretty bad on the side of her nightstand, and she broke her arm in the process and uh, has to have a handful of stitches on her face and stuff. Um, and they did find out, because she was having some, her hand was kind of, uh, you know, like moving without her trying to move it, and they did do some neurological work uh, and an MRI, and they're pretty sure that what caused her fall was a minor stroke. So uh, that's what's going on with Glennis, so you can, uh, you can pray for her. Uh, also, we got news this week that uh, Cheryl Heilman, uh, Mike tested positive for COVID uh, about a week and a half ago, and we prayed for him last week, and it turns out Cheryl also tested positive this week as well, uh, so we can continue to pray for them. So let's, uh, let's come to the text of Scripture this morning, and as we do, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. 
Lord, this morning we do give you thanks that you are a God who cares about those who are vulnerable. We thank you, Lord, that you are just and that you will always do what is good, you will always do what is right, and you will always do what is fair. Lord, we ask that as we look at these instructions that you've laid out for your people this morning, that you would help us to uh, catch a vision of who you are and that that would change us and that we would be agents of healing and renewal in our world, that we would be people who live uh, justly and people who care about the vulnerable in our communities. Lord, we do pray for Glennis and for Cheryl this morning, and we ask that you would provide uh, a supernatural healing for them, Lord, uh, especially for Glennis. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would uh, heal her body. And for Cheryl and Mike, we ask that you would uh, continue to help them uh, recover from COVID, and we ask that you would uh, just bring healing to all their bodies. Lord, we love you, and we ask all these things in your name. In all God's people said, amen. Well, we're in the book of Exodus, as we have been since the beginning of this year, and we're sort of in this little middle section that's uh, focused on God's people. The nation of Israel is at Mount Sinai, where they are receiving the instruction or the law of the Lord. And we've been trying to, over the last number of weeks, come at this in a variety, from a variety of different angles, uh, because uh, we want to capture something of the robustness of uh, the law that God gives and his instruction. We want to understand it rightly. And so we've been trying to look at this from a number of different angles. Uh, so the first thing that we did was we tried to look at the purpose of the law. And the second thing we did was we looked at uh, some principles for how do we read and understand and interpret the law rightly. And if you missed those, you can go back and listen to those uh, sermons. Those are on YouTube, they're on Facebook, they're on our website. You can find those if you uh, missed any of those. Uh, but this morning, what we're going to be doing is looking at uh, this passage that you heard read just a moment ago and looking at one of the major themes that we see come up in the instruction that God gives his people. And that instruction is sort of a, a, sort of a, a twofold instruction. It's one theme that expresses itself in two different ways. And that is concern for the vulnerable and just treatment for all people. So this is a, a major theme that we see in God's instruction that he gives to his people. And we're just going to spend some time looking at this this morning. Uh, I'll just tell you on the front end uh, that in the scope of what we're here to do today, uh, I am not going to spend any time advocating for specific methods of engagement. Okay, When it comes to how should we go about uh, engaging in uh, caring for the vulnerable, how should we go about in seeking justice for all people and being people who uh, uh, advocate for the just treatment of all people. I'm not going to give specific ways that we can uh, advocate for that. And it's not because that's unimportant. Okay, Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, what I'm saying is that in, in the scope of what we're here to do today, um, this is where we're going to focus. And also I think that it's essential that, we, that before we would ever start talking about what do we do out there, uh, the first thing we have to have is a clear picture of who God is. Without that, there, there will be no lasting uh, care for the vulnerable. There will be no lasting fruit from that. And so we, we want to start in the right place. We want to lay the right foundation. And that begins with getting a clear picture of who God is and having hearts that are captivated by and imaginations that are captivated by who God is who we see him to be in scripture, and then as a result of that, we would go into the context of community within our local church, and we would go in our relationships, in our small groups, and we would talk together about what does it look like for us to steward our influence in the community for the care of those who are vulnerable, 
What does it look like for us to, as a church family, and then as individuals, work for the just treatment of all people? So that is essential, it's important, but it's secondary to having a clear picture of who God is. And so that's why we're going to spend our time looking uh, at these uh, verses today, uh, trying to just gain a uh, picture of God's character and who he is, okay? So that's what we're going to do today. So if you have not already, grab a Bible and turn to uh, Exodus chapter 22. And we're going to be looking at these verses 21 through 24 here, and then we'll turn to chapter 23 next. But as we look at the passage today, uh, here's the first thing we see. We see that the law, God's instruction, prioritizes concern for the vulnerable. The instruction of the Lord given to his people, it prioritizes, it places a high value a high importance on care for the vulnerable. Now we can see this just by looking at the language. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. So we can see it just in the language there, but it's also interesting to see this. It takes something of a fresh, uh, we can see it in fresh ways when we contrast what is in the Old Testament law here with what we see in other ancient law codes. Okay, anybody ever heard of the Code of Hammurabi? Okay, there's a couple of you who've heard of it. Uh, this is one of the, maybe outside of the Old Testament, outside of the Ten Commandments, is probably the, the most well-known ancient law code. And there were uh, similar law codes in ancient Egypt and in other uh, places around where the Israelite people lived. And what's very interesting is as you look at those law codes, what you see is that there is a very clear priority given to certain kinds of people. And the priority is not given to people who are vulnerable. There's a law, a kind of legal priority and legal advantage that are given to people who are of a certain status, who are of a certain class, who are landowners, who are slave owners, who are wealthy, who are influential. That's who their laws seem to preserve and protect, is the rights of those people. But then you come to the, New Test- or the Old Testament, rather, and you look at the instruction that God gives his people, and you see that it is something that is in striking contrast to what you would see in other ancient law codes, where God says to his people, you will not take advantage of the vulnerable. So there's a priority given not to the people in power, not to the people who have the wealth and the influence. God gives a clear advantage and prioritization of people who have none of those things, the people who are most vulnerable, who are the easiest to take advantage of. And so you see God giving us here the sort of representative list of people who are vulnerable in that society. So first he talks about do not mistreat or oppress the foreigner. So a foreigner, uh, you may heard, have heard language uh, used before of resident alien, okay? That's what this Hebrew word is talking about here. It's somebody who is n- not an Israelite person, they're not an Israelite citizen, but they are permanently living within the land of Israel. And so they're, they're, a, they're a foreigner, they're a resident alien. And so these people were vulnerable for a handful of reasons. First, because they didn't have the network of support that other people who were native Israelites had. They didn't have the relational connections and the web uh, that could be there to support them if they needed it. They didn't have the majority on their side. They didn't, uh, they didn't always look or act or speak the same way that the people of Israel did. And so they sort of looked like outsiders. And so it was easy for people in that situation to be taken advantage of. They were in the minority. And God's command is, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. The next group of people that he references here in chapter 
22, verse 22, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Now, the widow and the fatherless were people who were vulnerable because in ancient culture in particular, uh, the husband was the primary income earner and the primary provider for the family. So if your husband died, if your father died, you were left in an incredibly vulnerable position economically. Now, there were some things that were set up within the Israelite society to sort of compensate for this, but it wasn't the same as actually having a husband. It wasn't the same as having a father to provide for you. And so the fatherless and the widow and the foreigner, these are all people who in ancient Israelite society would have been most vulnerable. These are people that would have been easy to take advantage of if someone wanted to. And so the priority that God gives here in this piece of instruction here is you will not take advantage of people who are vulnerable in your society. Now what's interesting about this, what I think is worth noting is that this theme of God's heart and his care for the vulnerable, this is not some like one-liner that's buried in the book of Leviticus, okay? This is not in the footnotes, this is not in fine print somewhere, this is not, you, you know, you don't have to go search for this. This is the first major block of instruction that God gives his people after the Ten Commandments. And built into that is his concern for the people who are most vulnerable in their society. So in other words, what God is saying to his people is very clear. The life of your community will be one that prioritizes and will be characterized by concern for people who are vulnerable. Now remember, one of the things that God is doing by giving his people his law or his instruction is he's forming them. He's shaping them into a certain kind of people. He's shaping them into a certain kind of society. And so he's saying to his people, you will be the kind of society that cares deeply about the people who are among you who are most vulnerable. You will care for them. And just notice how strong this language is. Look, starting in verse 22. Do not take advantage of the father, the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. So God is saying to his people, you guys remember six months ago when you were in Egypt? You remember when you were the ones who were mistreated? When you were the ones who were oppressed? When you were the ones who were taken advantage of? When you were enslaved? When you were dehumanized? Do you remember what that was like? Don't you dare for a moment think that I'll let you get away with the same thing that was done to you. If you perpetuate what was done to you in Egypt, you've seen what I've done. How I brought the sword against Egypt and I destroyed their armies and I, I ruined them on your way out the door. Don't think for a moment that I will do anything different to you if you do not also care for the vulnerable among you. You're not exempt from my justice and my judgment coming upon you for not caring for the vulnerable. So this, the strength of this language is, is kind of Starking, it, it's stark and it's, it's striking, isn't it? So this is the life, this is the community that God is shaping, one that cares deeply about the vulnerable. And of course, we could look around society today and see in our context, it looks different, but there are also people in our community, in our church family, in the communities around us, in, in our city, in our country, who would, we would consider to be vulnerable. And of course, it looks different and there's, you know, it's not a, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing, uh, but there are people who we would consider to be vulnerable. Maybe people who are immigrants, 
people who come from a certain uh, cultural or ethnic background, people who are maybe stuck in generational cycles of poverty. We could think of uh, children. We could think of the unborn. We could think of the elderly. We could think of lots of different people who in our society, for a variety of different reasons, are easy to take advantage of and who people target to take advantage of them. And so what God's instruction is for them, as well as for us, is that the life of your community, you will care about those who are most vulnerable in your society. So this is the first thing we see. The law prioritizes concern for the vulnerable. But the second thing we see here is this. This is sort of the second aspect of this. The law prioritizes just treatment for all people. God's instruction, it prioritizes the just treatment, the just and fair treatment of all people. And we see this in chapter 23, verses 1 to 9. So flip over there if you haven't already. Verse 1 says, Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. So don't lie and make somebody look bad, and don't lie and help somebody out who's really guilty. So don't use your words in a deceitful way to, to make someone who's innocent look guilty, and don't use your words to make someone who's guilty look innocent. Those are both distortions of what is just and right and good. Verse 2, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. Do what is right no matter what the consequences are. You can imagine a situation where someone is testifying in a case and there's the crowd. There's the majority. There's, you could call them the mob, who wants something. They want a particular outcome of this lawsuit or this case that's being brought before uh, the leaders. And so there's a kind of intimidation factor, isn't there? Where someone would think, my goodness, I I could lose my family, I could lose my friends, my relationships, I could lose my status in the community. There's all kinds of stuff I could lose. And so there's a temptation then to side with the majority, to side with what the sort of the crowd wants, and in doing so to distort justice because you're afraid. You're afraid of what's going to happen to you if you don't go along with what the majority of people want you to do. And God's instruction is is do what is right and do what is just and do what is fair no matter what the consequences are. Verse 3, and do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Do not administer justice based upon your emotions. You could, you could imagine this, right? There, there's a poor person who's in a, in a case and, and you would think, you know, this person just can't catch a break. And out of a, out of a heart that's overflowing with compassion, you would say, you know, let's just, let's just throw him a bone. You know, let's, let's, let's do something for him here. And, and showing favoritism to a person in that kind of a situation, God says, is a distortion of justice. You could skip down to verse 6 and then see, do not deny justice to your poor in their lawsuits. So you see both sides of it. Don't show favoritism to the poor and don't deny justice to the poor. So don't, don't treat people differently based upon their status. Verse 8, do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. So do not distort justice for personal gain. That's what, a, that's what accepting a bribe is. You know what the right thing to do is, and someone says, well, how much will it cost for me to get you to say something different? And there's a kind of, ooh, that would be nice, wouldn't it, if I had that much money sitting in my bank account? If all i got to do is, you know, this doesn't really affect me. If all i got to do is say this or do this, wouldn't that be great? 
And there's, there's the temptation to distort or pervert what is just and true for personal gain. Verse 9, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. So do not distort justice by applying a different standard to someone who's a foreigner. So you can see all of this together, painting this pretty clear picture of God communicating to his people, all people deserve the dignity of just and fair treatment. All people, doesn't matter your age, your gender, your ethnicity, doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, doesn't matter your standing in the community, doesn't matter any of that. Every single person deserves the dignity of just and fair treatment. And in fact, the book of Proverbs says it this way very, uh, very strongly. Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. So when justice is distorted, when the guilty are acquitted, or where the innocent are condemned, God hates that. All people deserve the dignity of just and fair treatment. And so what this means for us, as we, as we sort of put these two passages together, I think what they, what they say to us is, is pretty clear. There's not really uh, a whole lot of wiggle room for God saying, do this and don't do that. Uh, the text, I think, is very clear, but as we think about what does this look like, I think we take both of these together and we just have to see that if we are in any meaningful way going to say that we worship the same God who gave these instructions, we have to be a people that care deeply about those who are vulnerable, and we have to care deeply about the just treatment of all people. If we are going to, with a shred of integrity, say that we worship the God who gave these instructions, we have to care about the same kinds of things that he cares about. And the reason we care about these things is not because uh, at the moment our culture finds them to be valuable. We don't care about these things because there's some sort of um, like utilitarian value to it, right? Like, well, w- when, the, when the vulnerable are cared for and when people are treated justly, you know, every, it's, just, it's just good for everybody. Everybody benefits. And I would say, yes, that's absolutely true. And at the same time, that's not the reason that we follow these instructions. We don't care for the vulnerable and seek the just treatment of all people because our culture thinks it's valuable or because there's some, some benefit that we get out of it. We follow these instructions because they reflect the character of God. They show us something about who God is. And what we see as we look at the pages of Scripture is that God is deeply concerned for the vulnerable and that God is just, that he will always do what is good and right and fair. And so because that is who God is, our lives ought to reflect something of his character. That's why we pursue these things. That's why we run hard after these things. And as we look at the story of Scripture, we see God's heart for the vulnerable going from front to back cover of what the Bible says. So rewind the story back to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve rebel against God. And what God does is he pronounces judgment on them and everyone who was involved in that situation. He pronounces judgment, but within that judgment itself, he also provides grace. In the judgment that he gave, God also made a promise. He made a promise that he would crush the head of the serpent. And then what God does next is he meets Adam and Eve in the midst of their deepest vulnerability. The text says in chapter 2 that they were naked and unashamed. 
And then they rebelled against God and their eyes were opened. And they recognized that they were naked. And it filled them with fear and shame and guilt. They hid from one another. They hid from God. They're in a deep place of vulnerability and God meets them in the midst of that and he makes clothing for them and he covers their nakedness. So God met them in the midst of their vulnerability. We see also in in the story as we looked at the book of Exodus, we see God's people are mistreated, they are oppressed. God's people are taken advantage of in the nation of Egypt and God comes and he destroys their enemies and he leads them out into the wilderness to be in his presence with him. God meets them in the midst of their vulnerability and makes a way, he provides for them. We also see as the story of of scripture continues, we're actually gonna start looking at this in just a couple weeks, Uh, God meets his people in the midst of their deepest sin vulnerability. Right, This, this is... This is the the deepest vulnerability that human beings have is that our hearts are far from God, that we've been exiled from him in relationship. And you've got God giving all this instruction, chapter upon chapter upon chapter of instruction about this sort of odd-looking tent thing in the middle of the wilderness. And you've got the tabernacle. And what the tabernacle is, is it's God's way of meeting his people in the midst of their deepest vulnerability. The people have been exiled from God because of their sin. Their sinfulness has made them unclean. It's made them unholy. And so there's this problem in the Bible, right, of how is it that a holy God can be with unholy people? How is it that a God who cannot be in the presence of sin can be with and can be near people who are sinful? Well, the solution to that is God meets his people by giving them the tabernacle, And it's through these sacrifices and these rituals that the people go through day after day after day. It's through that all that stuff that seems so odd and strange to us. That is God meeting his people in the midst of their vulnerability and providing for their deepest needs. He's making a way for he who is a holy God to be in the presence of unholy people. And so the tabernacle shows us God meeting his people in the midst of their vulnerability and caring for them. We see, we come to the New Testament and we see God himself taking on human flesh. God himself accompanying us in our humanity and what he was doing is he took on the vulnerability of being human. He became human just like we are in every single way except he did not sin. Except his heart was not divided. His heart was not given over to money, to pleasure, to affirmation to experiences. He was not given over to all the things that our hearts are so easily given over to. In Jesus, God himself took on the vulnerability of being human. And at the end of his life, Jesus experienced oppression. Jesus experienced injustice. Jesus was unjustly tried as a criminal and he was executed. Jesus was taken outside of the city. Jesus was exiled Jesus was kicked out of the city and murdered in our place. And and when he was, as he did that, what, what that accomplished was that accomplished the reversal of our exile. Jesus sat under the rightful justice that the Father has for sin. He sat underneath the weight of that justice and through faith in him, our exile is reversed. 
through trusting in Christ who sat under the weight of God's justice, we can be brought back into relationship with God once again. And so there we see God meeting us in the depths of our vulnerability. And friends, this is, this is one of the central themes, the central threads that runs throughout the entire story of the Bible and is central to the message of the gospel. That we have a God who cared for the vulnerable enough to become vulnerable. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he hung there naked. He was exposed. And he did so so that we could have our nakedness covered. So that our shame could be covered. So that our guiltiness could be covered. Jesus experienced that for us. And so what this means for us is we look from, pay, from cover to cover in the Bible, we see God cares about people who are in conditions of vulnerability. We see that God cares about what is right. God cares about what is just. He cares about what is true. He will always do what is just. He will always do what is right. And he will always care about people who are vulnerable. And so if, if, if we can ever find ourselves in the place of being the kind of people who can look at people in our, in our society who are vulnerable and can say, can come up with a bunch of excuses for why we do nothing. Who can come up with a bunch of reasons why that person doesn't really deserve this or doesn't deserve that and they're sort of getting what's coming to them. And if we can have sort of a contemptuous attitude towards the vulnerable in our society, no matter why they're there or how long they've been there, what that reveals is that we have forgotten who we are. We've forgotten that we, apart from the work of Jesus on our behalf, are dead and utterly lost in our vulnerability. And it's because God cared enough to take on vulnerability and to come be with us. That is how we can be reunited with God the Father once again. And so if this is the central message that our lives are built upon, that we are dead in our sin, we are vulnerable and exposed and God met us in the midst of that and made a way for us, for our nakedness to be covered. And he cared for those of us who were vulnerable. How could we possibly not have a heart that, that, that longs to care for people in our society, care for people in our community who are vulnerable? And again, this is not based upon, our culture thinks this is valuable. It's not based upon utilitarian value of this just brings about the most amount of good for the most amount of people. We would pursue this kind of life where we care about what is just. We care about those who are vulnerable because we see God doing that exact thing in Scripture. And our heart is to say, God, I see, I've, I've seen what you have done for me. I've seen the way that you have met me in the midst of my vulnerability and have loved me anyways. And so as a response to that, I will joyfully give myself to care for others who are vulnerable. And I will care for them. And it's all based in the character of God. And so this is why we have to start here today. And of course, this is a start. This is not the end of the conversation. Uh, we should, from here, then go out into community, and we should go out into our relationships with one another and say, okay, who are the people in my sphere of influence who I would consider to be vulnerable? Who, who are the people that are in our church family who would be most vulnerable? And what does it look like for us as individuals in our, in our personal daily life, walking across the street, and what does it look like for us as a church family to try and find ways to sort of collectively care for people who are vulnerable? But the first step is, to, is to, to have a heart and a mind that is captured, have imaginations that are captured and captivated 
by a God who cares deeply for the vulnerable. As we come to the communion table today, we have a a physical, tangible reminder of the vulnerability that our Lord Jesus experienced. His body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And we get to celebrate that today. We get to remember that. And that is the motivation, that is the power, that is the thing that would lead us to go out into our world and care about those people who are vulnerable because we've seen it and we've we've experienced it for ourselves in the person of Jesus. And so we come to the table today and we get to celebrate that. So would you uh, take a few moments of time for reflection and confession as we come to the table?